All right, is this on? We good? How's everybody doing? Did you have a good day? Cool. I had a weird day. Thank you for asking. I'm going to tell you about it now for no reason other than I just need to share it. It was hot outside. Agreed? This is what we can agree on, okay? It's hot. I was sweating. I have a beard. It's not a great thing to have in the the summer. I'm pretty sure a significant portion of the sand that was at one point on that beach is still now in my beard somewhere. But that's not why my day was weird. I was out in the water because it was hot and I wanted to cool off. And I was, along with a couple of the interns back there, accosted by a school of darting fish. Did anyone else experience this? I'm not sure literally speaking, what's in the water, but these fish were going crazy. And so they start darting around everywhere. They're like little tiny rubber bullets from hell, just like getting up right in here. And so they're shooting around everywhere. And one of the interns, I I think it was Richard or Elijah, they casually mention like, oh man, we're going to find one of these in our bathing suits later. And then they just leave it at that. And it's like a funny joke, right? Someone says that and you're like, funny, ha ha, we're all good to go. I go inside like four hours later and I go to take my shower like four hours later and I'm getting ready for my shower and out of my bathing suit falls three little silver fish. I'm not kidding you. There was just like three little dudes that just came out of my bathing suit that had been hanging out there for a while, and they're now deceased on the bathroom floor, and I had to pick them up with a piece of toilet paper and send them back to the ocean. I have no point at all in telling you that story other than I needed to get it off my chest. It happened to at least one of the other interns that I know of, so you can guess who that might be and try to figure it out later. But I know that all of us right now have had fun and possibly very weird days like me, and so I know that it's going to be tough to pay attention, especially now that I've told you that there were three dead fish in my bathing suit. Words I never thought I would have to say. But I would ask... That is, this, is, this is our third night. We only have one more night together to delve into what it means to have peace with God. So I would ask somehow in a long roundabout way that you would track with me tonight, okay? That you would sit with me as we discuss what it means to have peace with God today, here and now. So I am going to pray for us towards that end, that God would be among us, that his spirit would work in us that we could be convinced more and more of his love and the peace that he offers to us. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for this group, Lord. They have brought me life this week. Just even being able to kind of walk around and observe. I don't know all of their stories. I don't know many of their stories. And yet I know that there are some here who are hurting. And I pray that you would comfort them. I know that there are some here who have been Christians for a long time, and I pray that they would walk away from this week even more convinced of the beauty of your gospel and of your love for them. I pray for the leaders that as they have discussions, as they consider what the gospel means for their own lives, that they would lead out of that humility, knowing that they need Jesus just as much as their students. 
be with all of us this week, Father, that we would take a hard and fast look again at ourselves, but also at you to see what it is that you have accomplished for us in the death of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, let's track. I've got one verse we're going to go through tonight, okay? Do you, can you hang with me for a little bit? All right, good talk. Um, the first night that we were together, we talked about the story of Jacob, right? I'm going to do a quick recap. We talked about how peace with God begins with wrestling with him. We talked about how God reaches out his hand into our mess and into our struggle and into our conflict, and that's how peace begins. Not apart from the conflict, not when we get our stuff together, but God actually reaching in. And then last night, we talked about how he made that possible, that God didn't just reach in like with one hand casually, he actually took on our humanity. That he actually bore the penalty for our sin and our brokenness and our separation from him so that he could change our what? Our identity. So that we could move from being his enemies and so that we could move from being weak and that we could move from being sinners into being called his friend. Into being called right. Into being called strong through the love of Jesus Christ and through our identity that we are offered to him. He changed our identity. That's what peace with God means, that we are no longer at war with him, but through the work of Christ, paying the penalty for our sin, we are now at peace with him, reconciled to him. But tonight, I want to talk about why that matters. Not on the eternal scale. Everything begins with peace with God, but I want to talk about why that matters in your daily lives. Because I fear that very, very often we tend to view the gospel in a relationship with Christ as what I would call fire insurance, right? A relationship with Christ is just a way to get out of hell and know that we're going to be okay in the long run. Too infrequently do we actually take a look at what a relationship with Christ means for us now. As we go about our daily lives in our schools, in our homes, in our family, in the summer, in the camps, everywhere, what does peace with God really mean? And so I want to begin by talking about what I, I have called nerdily the Narnia complex from the Chronicles of Narnia, okay? I love the Chronicles of Narnia. My daughter, Lucy, was named after that Lucy. So I have a little bit of an unhealthy obsession, and that's going to be okay because this is a safe place for me. All right. I want to talk about the Narnia complex. I love those books. The one thing, however, that has bothered me about those books, I'm going to tell you right now, is in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I want you to think about if you've read, anybody read that book? Yes, great, cool, good, right audience. Okay, in that book, the Pevensey kids, of which there are four, I'm drawing blanks, Peter, Edmund, Lucy, and Susan, there we go, I've justified myself. They go into the wardrobe. Okay, they go into the wardrobe, and what do they find there? They find this incredible world, Narnia. They go into the wardrobe as kids, and they find this world, Narnia, and they go on this incredible adventure. And then at the end of all of it, they become kings and queens of Narnia, and they rule for, like, years. And then at the end of the book, they're, they've been ruling for years. Now they're, like, grown men and women. If you've seen the movies, like, the men have beards. They're older and then they, they go and they hunt the white stag, and all of a sudden they go back to the lamppost, and then they go back in the wardrobe, and they pop back out in that room, and almost no time has passed at all, and they're kids again. But they're kids who remember where they've been. How much would that mess you up? 
Have you ever thought about how really, really weird that is? That these kids come back and now they're like prepubescent and they were once kings and queens. And they knew what it was to rule people and they knew what it was to live in this magical land and then all of a sudden they're back in this room and they've got to think about homework. And they're probably going to be put in timeout at some point. And they're going to be disciplined by their parents. And they're going to be disciplined by their teachers. They were and still are because once a king and queen of Narnia, always a king and queen of Narnia. But now they're living back in the world that they knew before. And they have to be kids again. And they have to figure out navigating life even though they know this is true of them. You see, as messed up as that is, that is almost exactly where scripture says we are as Christians. Right, scripture, we talked about peace with God last night. Scripture says that we are God's children. We are called kings and priests. We just sang that. We are identified as righteous in the eyes of God because of the blood of his son. And when we put our faith in him, we are called his children. And yet here we are in this world. We're not reigning with him yet. We're not perfect yet. Life is not easy for most of us. The difficult relationships that we face, the struggles that we face. And so we might look at ourselves as Christians, and I think this is one of the central tensions of the Christian life, and go, why am I not there yet? I know this is true of me. I know where I'm headed. I know that Jesus Christ has saved me and that I'm headed for restoration and that he's going to live with me in eternity and we're going to have this incredible relationship. But what do I do right now? What do I do? Because my parents are going through a divorce right now. What do I do? Because my friend just got diagnosed with this sickness and I don't know what it means. What do I do because I just lost one of my grandparents? What do I do because I've got all this pressure on me in sports and in school and from my friends? What do I do because I don't really know who I am? I know this is true of me then, but what's true of me now? That's what we're talking about tonight. Not peace with God is this kind of larger kind of theological concept, but peace with God is something that reaches into our existence in this broken world now, you and I, those of us here who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, and I am not assuming that everyone here has done that, those of us here who have put our faith in Jesus Christ are people living between two worlds, living as sons and daughters, kings and queens in the eyes of God because of Christ, and then living in this broken world where we're faced with wars and illness and sickness and pain and tension in our relationships. And so I want to draw our attention in light of that to God's word. Again, one verse. One verse that has meant more to me in my walk with Jesus than a lot of other verses combined. And it says this, and I believe it'll be up here on the board. Thank you. I have said these things to you. This is Jesus speaking. I have said these things to you. This is John chapter 16, verse 33. That part's key. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. And he says this, in the world you will have tribulation. That word just means trouble, trial, difficulty. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now I need to give you a little bit of context for where this verse comes from, okay? 
Jesus is speaking to his disciples and has been for some time. What he's saying to his disciples, the things that he said to them, started back in verse or chapter 14 of John's gospel. This is the last night that Jesus spends time with his disciples before he is betrayed. It's called the upper room discourse. And so he's spending time with his disciples who were these guys that were the closest to him, who had followed him all throughout his ministry, who were pretty bought in at this point. And Jesus washes their feet and they have this meal and then he just starts talking to them. And he tells them all of these things that are confusing for them, that he won't be there anymore, that very soon he's going to go away. And that someone else is going to come, a helper, the Holy Spirit, but that first he's going to have to go and he's going to have to die and they're not going to see him again. And he ends it all with this verse. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In this one verse, he says two incredibly profound things. He makes two incredibly challenging but beautiful promises. The first is this, if you're writing things down, because some people do that. The first is this. You will have, in this world, you will have trouble. That's simple. That painful. He's talking to his disciples who have followed him, who have left everything for him. He's going to his death and he looks at them. The eyes of Jesus Christ, God himself looking at them and saying, listen, I need you to grab this. I need you to understand this. I need all of you to understand this. In this world, you will have trouble. It will get hard. Being a Christian, and I don't know that enough of us wrestle with this, being a Christian does not exempt us from difficulties and challenges. I'm afraid that there are lines of thought out there that say if we just have enough faith, if we just work up enough kind of religious fervor and energy and emotion in our lives, then everything will be okay. But having a relationship with Christ does not exempt us from difficulties. I had a student in my youth ministry when I was in Fort Collins, an eighth grader, who had put his faith in Jesus Christ and the following Christmas Eve was sitting in his room when his parents didn't think he was listening, they thought he was asleep, and his dad told his mom that he wanted to leave and that he wanted their marriage to end. And he prayed, but their marriage ended. It was done. I think too often we believe this really kind of shallow mathematical formula version of Christianity that says if we don't get what we want from God, then either God doesn't care or we didn't pray hard enough. And yet here is Jesus Christ, the Lord himself, God himself, in whom all things hold together, by whom all things have their existence, looking at his disciples, the men who had left everything for him and saying, it will get hard. Let me put it this way. Have you ever, I don't know why you would have, have you ever tried to play like blocks or Legos with a small person? And by small, I mean child. Like, not just someone who's little, but a small person. Thank you. Great. This is inevitably what happens when I play blocks and now Legos with my kid. My six-year-old, she's kind of OCD, and now she likes to put it all together. But my four-year-old just wants to watch the world burn. So this is what happens. We build Legos. We build a Lego set. We build blocks. They say, Daddy, build blocks with me. I'm like, great. But we're going to be serious about this, okay? We don't just, like, build blocks idly. We build blocks with purpose, 
because we don't do things idly in my house. We do it with purpose, okay? So we build blocks with purpose. So we put the blocks, we make a tower, we make a castle. It looks incredible. I take a picture of it. I put it on Instagram. Everything's perfect. And inevitably what happens when you build blocks with a toddler or you build Legos with a toddler is that eventually they get that look in their eye and then they come around and they destroy everything. And so we build it back together. What is it? That lizard is going to be okay. Is it gone now? Are we good? Are we good? All right, let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. I'm telling my block story, and I'm really excited about it, okay? You just saw a glimpse of my ADD. Here we go. Inevitably, what happens is that I build these blocks up, and then my daughter will come, and she will trash them. So it gets to the point where if I want to get it done, I've like got one child pinned down with this leg, and then I'm building blocks over here and trying to put it all together. I say all of that because that's often what our lives feel like, right? Between our schedules our sports, everything else, we try to just kind of keep the blocks of our life in place. We try to get all of the pieces where we think they need to be so that we can be okay. In fact, a lot of the people around us will tell us that's what we need to do. And yet inevitably, and maybe this hasn't happened in your life yet, but I imagine there are a few of you that this has. Inevitably, something comes along that brings one, two, or maybe all of those blocks tumbling to the ground. That's what Jesus is telling his disciples. He's saying, do not spend your energy, do not spend your days, do not spend your time, do not spend your life trying to piece together and hold everything together that you want in this life. Because if you do that, you will miss the point. And if you do that, you will be beset by anxiety and worry. Because what is anxiety besides the realization that you have no control? It is rooted in that realization that it's not on you to hold all those blocks together. We hear this in the rest of Scripture as well. If you have your Bibles and you flip over to Romans 8, listen to what Paul is saying. This is Romans 8, starts in verse 21. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons the redemption of our body. Paul is writing to the church in Rome and he's going, listen, you need to understand this. It's not just you. Your life is not the only life that's hard. It's the entire physical world in and of itself, the plants, the animals, the ground itself, and everybody in it that understands that something is broken, that something is wrong, that is awaiting something new, some kind of new life. It's one of the things that I love about scripture. It doesn't hold back from the truth of the fact that we will face trouble in this world. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on to say this, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. He's saying all that he has said to the disciples, that he's leaving, that they won't see him anymore, but he's not going to leave them alone, so that they may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Right? He's going two realities. One, you live in a broken world. You live in a world that has been affected by sin. Bad things are going to happen. You will go through hard things. You will go through trials. But you will also have hope. Because I 
He's saying, I, Jesus Christ, have overcome the world. That's what we were talking about last night. That through his life, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, Jesus has conquered sin and death on our behalf. We have certainty when we put our faith in him that when God looks at us, he sees us as his children. The first thing, the first really practical thing that we do if we want to engage with peace with God is to look at his promises. Is to look at what he promises is true in scripture. Because what are we doing when we go through trials and we go through struggles except trying to figure out how to interpret what is happening to us in this world? But the Christian is able to look at their life and go, I need to understand what's true of me here, but I also need to understand what scripture says is true of me. What's true of me here is that you may actually be going through something really hard. But what scripture, scripture tells you is also true, is that you are a child. And that you worship a Savior who has overcome the world. And that you worship a Savior who is taking you somewhere. And who has not left you alone. If you ever want to know where you're headed, if you ever want to know where you're promised to go in scripture, I would encourage you to go and to read Revelations 21. Because it is in that chapter that we find out this little glimpse of what heaven looks like. And it's not what we think it is. It's not like chubby babies and harps and like worship music on repeat. It is a restored creation. Revelation and, and God's word itself, it says that where we are headed is a place where sin and death and disease will be no more, and it will be God himself who will wipe every tear from our eyes. That's what scripture says is true of us, that we're headed there, that that's the kingdom that we are going to be a part of. In chapter 22, it says that we will actually reign with him over all of creation. We will be kings and queens. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. That's where we're headed. At the end of that section in Romans chapter 8, Paul writes, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That word glorified means that we're headed for glory. We're headed for that day that's talked about in Revelations. We're headed for that day where all things will be restored and all of the bad stuff gets undone. And everything is made new. And we get to live with God. And we don't even need the sun because he will be the light. The first place that we find peace in this life is by looking at the promises that Scripture gives us. I think so often when we're wrestling with anxiety or struggling with something, we tend to look the other way and go, how can I fix it? And Scripture goes, you need to look here to see what's true of you. But the other place that we need to look is to the presence of God. Philippians 4 Verse 6 through 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We go to Scripture, we see what's true of us, we see what Scripture promises is true of us as we put our faith in Jesus Christ, but we also go straight to the source. We go straight into the presence of God with prayer. It says that you can ask anything of God. That if you're anxious, if you're worried, you can go to him. 
Listen to what it doesn't guarantee. It doesn't guarantee that you are going to get exactly what you ask for, exactly how you ask it. But what does it guarantee? That you will have peace that surpasses all understanding. That is something that every single person in all of this world wants. It's just they don't always want to have to submit to Christ first. Every person who has ever existed is striving after peace in some way. And in the word of God, we have this promise that says if we go to him and we ask him and we set ourselves before him, that we will have no questions asked, peace that surpasses all understanding. Peace in this life begins looking at the promises of God and entering into the presence of God. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, we're told that we are to cast all our anxieties on him, on Christ. Listen to the second clause here. Because he cares for you. One of the reasons that we don't go to God to find peace is because we think that we can just put it all together ourselves. The other reason that we don't often go to God to find peace is because we think he doesn't care. And I need you to look up here, and I need you to hear me say that nothing could be further from the truth. That what we see from the first page of Scripture to the last is a God who cares so deeply for you. Is a God who throughout all of human history has been pursuing us. Is a God who has paid the ultimate price to call us his own. Who continually moves towards his people even though they rebel it's a God who cares for you. That's what Peter's writing in chapter 5. Cast your anxieties on him, not just hoping that things are going to work out, but because he cares for you. I want to talk about one more children's book as I close up here, okay? Corduroy Bear. Any big fans of Corduroy Bear? The rest of y'all are missing out, okay? It's some incredible literature. Let me say this. Let me say this. I know. I know. Let me say this. Corduroy Bear is the story of a stuffed bear who sits on a department shelf store. There's like lots of editions. This is the main one. Corduroy Bear sits on a department store shelf, and he's been there for a long time. And all of a sudden, this little girl comes up one day in the store, and she takes one look at Corduroy Bear, and she goes, this is it. This is the bear I've always wanted. And then her mom's got to mess it all up because her mom says, we don't have any money. We can't do that right now. And so she leaves the store. And the rest of the story takes a look at Corduroy Bear as he goes around the store. Because the reason that the mom said that they couldn't have that bear was not just because they didn't have enough money, but because the bear was broken. Because it had this button missing on his overalls. And so they leave the store and Corduroy just walks around looking for this button, trying to put himself back together. Until one day, that little girl comes back into the store. It might have been, the, I think it's the next day. And she has her own money. And she picks up that bear. And she brings him over and she purchases him. And she takes him home with her. And she gives him a bed all of his own. And he says, I guess this is the thing that I've always wanted. I'm afraid because I've seen it in my own life. And I'm afraid because I imagine some of you are walking in this place where you think that you, you've called yourself a Christian, you've put your faith in him, but you don't really think he's there. Like Corduroy Bear, you think that he's just walked away and he's waiting for you to put yourself back together.
But what the gospel tells us time and time again is that he hasn't gone anywhere. It's that when he chose you, when he called you, when he calls you his own, he's already paid the price for you. There's no question. And one day, one day he's going to pick us up and he's going to carry us home and he's going to fix all the things that are broken and he's going to make it all right. It's that kind of hope that anchors us here. Peace with God, it doesn't mean that things will be easy. Peace with God doesn't mean that we get to be exempt from all the difficulties that we would want to be exempt in this world. But peace with God means that we have his presence in the midst of it. That he's not left us. That he does care. And that he's going to take us with him and he's not finished with us yet. There is incredible hope there. And I pray that you will talk to your leaders about it. Come and talk to me about it. I'm not that scary. I'm wearing a very bright pink shirt, but I'm not frightening. This matters. And I know that your leaders, and me included, want you to get this, that God cares for you, that this isn't some far-off theological concept, but this is a truth for you today, now. God loves you. He cares for you. Go to him, and you will have a peace that surpasses all understanding. Let's pray. Father, in your grace and your mercy, help these things to sink in. Would we be the kind of people who would go to you when we're anxious? Would we be the kind of people who would seek after you when we're hurting? Would we be the kind of people who would look at your promises and find hope there? who would go into your presence and find peace there. Change us. We've all said it. We'll say it again. Lord, do not let us leave this room the same people who entered it. Shape us in the image of your son and carry us in his hope. In Jesus' name, amen.